Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Averill. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. This week it's all about giving and being thankful and it's such an exciting time to highlight a woman whose work has been about that since she was a college student. This week we're speaking with Jess Ekstrom. She's the creator of Headbands of Hope. You have seen her headbands on my Instagram videos for a while because when I found her organization about a year ago, I... Loved their mission. I love that for every headband we purchase, another is given to a child who's going through an illness. The mission of Headbands of Hope is especially poignant this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving. And also a reminder, next Tuesday is Giving Tuesday. So I know I'm going to be thinking about organizations I'd like to support especially with Christmas coming up, how can I purchase gifts that are lovely and wonderful and also support a mission that aligns with our values? Jess Ekstrom is here to share her story from college student with a heart for children to entrepreneur with a heart for women, helping them identify their stories and share these stories with others. It's a journey of giving through and through. So it's the perfect topic to cover this week on Love and Life. Here's a little bit more about Jess. Jess Ekstrom helps women tell and sell their stories. As the best-selling author of Chasing the Bright Side, host of the Business on the Bright Side podcast, and creator of guided online journaling service, Bright Pages, Jess has been featured in major media outlets such as The Today Show, Good Morning America, The View, Vanity Fair, Seventeen Magazine, Huffington Post, and Forbes. After starting and growing her multi-million dollar company, Headbands of Hope, in her dorm room, her speaking and writing career took off. But Jess realized that her success wasn't about how far she can reach, but how far she can help other women reach. Today, through her book, podcast, The Bright Pages Journaling Service, and her uber-popular mic drop and book pop workshops, she helps women uncover the value in their story so they can make a living and a difference at the same time. My interview with Jess Ekstrom, right after this. Those of you who've been listening to Love and Life for a bit will remember my interview with Liz Forkin Bohannon, the creator of Seiko Designs. Seiko provides employment and educational opportunities for women in Uganda. And since that time, I've made it a point to try to buy gifts for my friends that have a dual purpose. Something I know my friends will love that also empowers a woman here or abroad. If you'd like to join me and get a jump start on your Christmas shopping, head over to my Instagram page where I'll be sharing the link to join my Seiko shopping party. Thank you so much. Jess, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on. I'm going to tell you a little backstory about how I came across you and oh, please. Your, yeah, your business and all your work. <laughs> so there's this darling little shop in my town. It's called Aster and Gray. And their mission is to bring 
products and gifts and items and all the things, but they always want to have some sort of mission behind it. So there'll be a lip balm that's going to support women who are leaving sex trafficking or candles that support that mission as well. And they had this lovely display of headbands. And I said, what are these headbands of hope? And this was before Christmas last year, where I was trying to be extra intentional about buying local and small and supporting missions, of course, in the midst of last year. And so I bought a bunch of your lovely headbands for gifts and, of course, a couple for myself. And yeah, and so what I do on Love and Life is talk about all kinds of relationship stuff, but also I love to bring to my community some words from people who are making an impact and making a difference. And especially when we think about using our money and our our currency as a way to exemplify our values. I love the idea of trying to purchase gifts for friends and family that have a a, a double punch, right? You get a great gift, but you also are doing something lovely for someone who could use a little help. So talk a little bit about Headbands of Hope and let the uh, community know how you came into this. And it's just a, a beautiful story of an opportunity for people to buy something really nice and also help out a kid. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you discovered us in that shop. That's awesome. We'll have to send them a note and let them know. But I started Headbands of Hope when I was in college. I was first, it started in Disney World, actually. I was (laughs) interning there and I was a photo pass photographer. And when I was there, I would, I mean, it was such a fun job. I got to take pictures of people like from all over the world and got to work in these parks. But my favorite thing that I got to do there was I got to photograph kids that were there on their wish through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And so I just fell in love with the foundation and interned for Make-A-Wish my sophomore year of college. And when I was there, that's when I started to notice, you know, a lot of kids that would lose their hair to chemotherapy the immediate reaction would be to offer them a wig or to give them a hat or something that was kind of telling them to like, oh, you know, cover up your head. And a lot of them weren't really concerned with covering up their heads. They just wanted something to feel good after hair loss and feel like a kid again and kind of restore their identity and self-confidence. So I saw a lot of kids wearing headbands after hair loss. And I just thought that that was like, such a cool gesture of confidence that they wanted to wear headbands instead. And so I I remember like going onto Google and looking up, you know, headbands for kids with cancer and nothing came up. And, you know, I call it the the dumbest, smartest moment of my life where I was (laughs) like, oh, you know, I, I could do that. And I think, you know, being 19 years old at the time was really helpful in like, you know, not thinking too hard about it. And so I started Headbands of Hope, uh, April 25th, 2012. We launched our website for every headband sold. One is donated to a child with an illness. Uh, I sold my first headband to my mom, (laughs) my second (laughs) one to my grandpa, and now uh, over a million headbands donated and counting. So there's a lot in between, but I'll stop there. <laughs> oh, I what I love is that you were in college and you were young, but you came across something and you thought, I think there's an opportunity here to yeah, figure out a way to do something. And I I love the piece about identity because as anyone knows, when we go through trials and we go through hardship and we go through anything that can be devastating, we have 
unfortunately, it can not only just the illness or the challenge itself, but it can also rip away at who we are and how we understand ourselves to be. And for you to go, wait a minute, some of these kids just want to have a little embellishment and they're not trying to cover anything up. They just want to get back to who they were. And this is a way to to support them in that. And I just love that. I love that you are young and maybe, like you said, naive enough to think, I'll do this. Yeah. <laughs> but- I think what the more like information <laughs> we have as we grow older can sometimes be detrimental to that like go for it spirit. You know, when we when we're kids or when we're young, it's like, you know, you're not you don't really have the data to know what works and what doesn't work or like what's viable and what's not. And I think that that was almost like better, you know, sometimes than having all of this like data and what I know now where I can have like analysis paralysis before I start anything. Yeah, for sure. I think there's that, that naivete of youth that could work in our favor if we let it and maybe try to embrace that again, even though we're a couple years on. But so once you started this and you had a couple sales to family members, <laughs> then <laughs> how did this go? Because you're, you're a college student, you had exams and, yeah. and responsibilities, and then you're starting this in your dorm room. How did things progress from there? Well, not quickly. <laughs> I'll yeah. tell you that. Yeah. And I think that that's like another another point to my story that, you know, I used to be embarrassed about. And now that I'm like really proud of is that it was a slow start. You know, I was figuring it out. It was not fire right right out of the gate, but you know, it was, I knew that this was more than just a business. Like this was going to solve problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why, you know, so much of the work I create today is more is less around entrepreneurship and more around optimism because mm. that was what it was that kind of that was the fuel behind Headbands of Hope was knowing that this thing was going to leave the world you know better than I found it and um, so I got started really as like scrappy as they come I needed a logo I went into like a graphic design class that I was not in and asked the teacher if she could make a class assignment where like yeah. everyone had to create me a logo and like that was how I got my logo. I didn't know how to make a website. And so I met with computer design students every day for lunch uh, for them to teach me like Photoshop and and Shopify. And I paid them in Chipotle burritos. (laughs) That's how (laughs) I got uh, my website. And so I feel like little by little, you know, things started to come together, not by focusing on like the Super Bowl, but just by thinking about the first down. You know, and I think that Mm. we should be able to give ourselves that grace and that permission. It's hard when we constantly have a front row seat to everyone's highlight reels and trophies to not put that pressure on ourselves where Mm. we're like, oh, but I should be here right now or I should already, you know, be in stores or I should be at this kind of milestone. Um, But instead, just like what how can I get the first down today to keep this idea rolling? And so little by little, things started to come together, you know, with Headbands of Hope. I definitely had some major hiccups in between, you know, idea versus reality, including working with a fraudulent manufacturer that mm. ended up stealing uh, money from our first round of production, which that was that that was um, hard to to bounce back from. But I remember like the moment that I got an order from someone that I didn't know. And that was a big point of validation for me. There was this 
magazine that I would read all the time. Um, it was fitness magazine. And this was around the time when like blogging was becoming really popular. Mm-hmm. And there was a article that was like five fitness bloggers to watch. And so I went to all of their blogs and I reached out to every single one of them and said, this is what, you know, I'm doing. And I think that, you know, these headbands would be great for your audience. And I'd love to send you some. And out of those five blogs, two of them got back to me. And then one of them ended up posting about it. And I remember that day that she posted, I remember the blog was called Healthy Tipping Point, was the day that I got like $500 worth of orders on the website, which to me was like astronomical, you know, sales. And, And then I think that that's when I learned that Honestly, a lot of going for it is just throwing darts and sometimes not <laughs> as much about strategy as like we are made to believe that it is. Sometimes it's the more we can just pound the pavement and, and put ourselves out there. It almost becomes a, a math game. It's like, well, if I, can, if I can get in front of this amount of people, how many people does that mean will now know about my message and then how many people from them will actually end up buying it. So that was a big lesson for me and just of like swallowing my pride a little bit and not having to be perfect and calculated and so precise all the time. Just, you know, picking up the phone and calling or knocking on the door and just continuing to show up even when it's uncomfortable. And it's so everything you're saying, I'm just thinking of the parallels, which is what I I love that you have such wisdom about your process. And it wasn't that long ago, really. I mean, you're not even 10 years on in this, in this endeavor. But you're able to look at, yeah, no matter what kind of opportunity someone is trying to pursue, there's going to be, of course, with social media, it's so easy to look at everyone, like you said, their highlight reel and their their touchdowns and re- realizing that they had to make those first downs along the way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't this, it looks really shiny and pretty and perfect now, but there was a lot of work behind that. And maybe as you're saying, even less strategy than sometimes a business coach would want to tell us, right? That sometimes it's just throwing things out there and seeing what sticks and what works and what resonates. And then, and then in that sense, I'm thinking like those bloggers, the one who you ended up, who ended up going for your offer and sharing that's the one who really resonated with your message and your mission. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay. And actually it's a great thing when we get turned away or denied because that's not the path. Those people, they've got their other things they're doing, right? Which I'm sure are also really important and wonderful, but you want the people who really vibe with what you're offering. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that business and just life in general comes in seasons and, I went through, you know, a season in my 20s and when I was starting this business where it was throwing darts, you know, and just trying everything, packing my bags, going to a trade show where I was stationed like behind a bathroom because I didn't look at the floor plan ahead of time and just like (laughs) trying all these things. And then now I'm in a season where, okay, I have more information. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. I know who our audience is. I know who it isn't. And so therefore my, my strategy is a little bit more narrow and precise than it used to be, mm-hmm. but you have to allow yourself to go through, through those seasons. And especially the beginning one can feel pretty messy. And then when you are, you know, 
reach whatever level of success or you figure something out. I think that we just like to torture ourselves sometimes too. And then we, you know, start over and have another idea and you go through that beginning season again. I find that as a pattern in my life where I always think like, oh, well, once I get here, you know, then I am going to just sit margaritas and ride into the sunset, you know, and retire or whatever. And then, you know, you hit that and then you're like, but actually I realize that I, the, the joy is in the process, not the outcome. And, uh, and truly just love building things. And so not kind of, I think a big challenge for me is trying not to delay joy or delay fulfillment until I feel like it's deserved, but instead try to find it within the process of, of the build. And again, that just generalizes to so many different realms of life there. It, you know, I, I deal a lot with dating and relationships and marriage and that sort of stuff. And as a psychologist, I like to bring in the research and then my experience as a therapist in days gone by. But really, it's if we can find exactly I just wrote down this quote that you said, the joy is in the process, not the outcome. If we can truly embrace that and sit with that gosh, we make our lives so much happier because there's so much research and psych that looks at the here and now. And so much of our distress is because we're ruminating about the past and it didn't go the way we thought it should, or we're freaked out about the future. And so our anxiety kicks in. But when we are able to be in that moment, which is in the process, which in, at times is going to be in the trenches and, mm-hmm. and in, the, in the tough spot and try to find the joy within that process, I mean, wow, that is, I mean, that's just a, a wisdom, a pearl of wisdom. I think we can all try to hang on to. And it's, and it's, and it's a struggle. It's not like it's going to be easy, even though it's pretty simple when we say it, but it's not easy, but it's really where truth and beauty lie and where we can just enjoy every season as you spoke to seasons of our life. Absolutely. And I think you're so right that it applies to relationships, you know, especially I, we were uh, chatting before we hit record that I just got done with a two and a half year trip, if you want to call it, <laughs> living in an Airstream trailer with my husband. So if you're looking for some sort of relationship social experiment, you know, put, <laughs> put t- two people in a trailer for two years and see what happens. But one of the things that we noticed that we were talking about, like when we were finishing up our trip, what are some things that we feel like are different now, either about us or about our relationship that we didn't have when we were entering into it? And one of the key parts that we realized that we are now taking with us as we come back to quote unquote reality of living in a home is our ability to collaborate and almost find joy in the problems. Whereas before we went on our trip, our problems, I would say, were very individualized. Like, I am working on this and you are working on that. And uh, you have this job and I have this job. But when you're on the road, you know, and your tire goes flat in the middle of the desert and all you have is each other, we really learned how to like almost just find a little bit of, of joy, I guess is the right word, in the midst of the chaos. Because at the end of the day, most of our life is chaos, especially if yeah. we are reaching, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that's something that I know that I enjoy doing. And so it's like, 
man, if we just keep, if we think that the fun parts of our trip is only going to be the parts where we're parked with an ocean view, you know, with the birds chirping in front of us and whales jumping, then, you know, we're not going to be happy because most of our trip is going to be, you know, the stuck on the side of the road or like the toilet broke and it's, you know, 90 degrees outside and you have to fix it. And so to find a little bit of joy in those times of just enjoying the process is something that I'm really like actively trying to train my brain to do. And, mm-hmm. and it can be fun. Yeah. And I love that, that notion of training your brain because the brain wants, we want status quo. We want efficiency, simplicity, and every challenge that we're thrown. It's, I think it's like anything it's, it's healthy for us to have to grapple with that challenge. And it's funny when you talk about this, trip. I mean, think about it. Every single time someone tells you about their vacation, they never tell you about the time when they're parked and looking at the ocean. They tell you about all the struggles. We went to the wrong airport in France. We were supposed (laughs) to do Charles de Gaulle. We went to the other one. You know, that's the story that always, like the story comes back and it's about the flat tire in the desert. It's never the calm moments. So there's something inherently good, I think, for us to grapple with those challenges. And apparently we like to share them in every story yeah. arc has the the challenge that must be overcome. And I have to ask, like, so was this an extended honeymoon for you and your husband or how'd this happen? <laughs> I wish that would have been nice. But um, it started as a, a book tour for my book, oh, Chasing yeah. the Bright Side. And we're like, oh, it'd be great. You know, my parents have lived in an RV. My sister have. We're like, oh, let's do a couple months popped to some different cities. So we started it in mid-2019 and realized that we loved it. And then the pandemic hit and we were like, actually, this is a great place to be because we can still be outside. But something that you said that struck me about like how we love sharing, you know, the flat tires and the time when we went to the wrong airport is, um, you know, I work most of, I started Headbands of Hope and, uh, and I feel like there was a season in my life where, you know, making sure that Headbands of Hope was uh, front and center and, and helping these kids was my main priority. And then I realized that almost the story of how I started Headbands of Hope was this other, you know, point of impact in itself. So I started writing and speaking and hired a great team to manage Headbands of Hope. And now most of my life is writing and speaking and helping other women do the same. And so in my course, uh, Mic Drop Workshop, which is to help women get paid speaking engagements, you know, we go through what we call moment to meaning, which is like, what are the moments in your life that have shaped who you are and how can you extract the meaning from them to serve others? And that's essentially what you do as a speaker is you use your story to help people write their story. And I would say, you know, almost 90% of the stories that we pick in those moments are not the ones where we were, you know, horseback riding into the sunset or got the award or what it is. The moments that sometimes teach us the most are the ones that were hardest in our lives. And when you think about some of those before and after moments in your life and those pivotal points, it's usually the time where it didn't go your way or that you had something unexpected. I mean, we all just went through, you know, a global pandemic that turned everything upside down. And these stories within that are still being written. And I'm, I think that one of the things I try to steer clear of in that lesson though, is like, we don't always have to quote unquote, chase the bright side, even though that's the title of my book, but you know, sometimes there's a developing period 
after we experience something tough or after we're challenged where we kind of need that processing time to realize what the lesson was. But just because you can't see it right now doesn't mean that it isn't taking shape. You know, in my book, I talk about how, you know, my uncle and my family is a one of the biggest financial frauds in history. And it was a story that I very much tried to keep close to my chest and almost just completely compartmentalize it from who I am, you know, today. And, and I just did not want anyone to find out that I was related, you know, to this person. And it took me 11 years, you know, to finally realize that or finally realize the role that that this played in my life um, and write about it in in chasing the bright side. And so just because we don't see the meaning right now, you know, doesn't mean that it's not there or that it isn't taking shape. And, you know, you don't have to force it because it'll come when it's ready. That's so wise. And it's something that as a psychologist, I get a lot of pushback. I kind of, I, I chase the bright side. <laughs> so, I mean, I can really resonate with that, that, that message and that impulse, but I also recognize that feelings serve a purpose. They let us know things that maybe we aren't aware of within ourselves, right? They let us know something's amiss. Maybe it's my thoughts are out of whack and I need to rein in and harness my my mindset. Or maybe it's that something has been has gone on that I wasn't ready to deal with, but now I am ready to deal with it and I need to listen to that feeling. Like in your case, listen to that feeling. What was that about that you were associating some shame through no fault mm-hmm. of your own, but your uncle's behavior and you were carrying that and you had to realize, wait a minute, that shame is not mine to carry. And there's no reason for me to be secretive about this because it's not, I didn't do anything. Right. So there was a process of you working through all that. So it's so great to listen to our feelings. And I, of course, honor that at the same time, I do encourage through strategies of cognitive behavioral therapy and all sorts of things that I learned in my training to become a psychotherapist that there's also the tendency can be if we haven't learned these strategies, we may not understand that this, that, that our mindset and our mood is much more in our control than we realize. Mm-hmm. So I, I always lean toward the side of chasing the bright side. But there are those who would would say that I would be too Pollyanna or too overly optimistic. But I, you know, again, everyone kind of has their niche. And so for me, I, be, I believe that I've been wired to try to remind us all that we can have a status quo of happiness and hope and belief and opportunity as opposed to some folks who sadly because of their experiences as children have been believing that they need to remain in a space that isn't as empowered and so I'm I'm always here to be like all right you know honor where you are and where you've come from and let's try to get you in a place that'll be uh, just a happier state well I think you know you hit the nail on the head and what is interesting, you know, I am not a psychologist. I'm just using my story to, to hopefully help people in yeah. theirs. But I think what's interesting about the position that that you and I are so wonderfully in is, you know, we can give people tools, you know, we can hand over a toolkit. And, and then sometimes that this a certain tool won't be needed in their life until, you know, three years down the road or whatever it might be. And so, you know, I, I try to sometimes find like a balanced approach to giving advice or giving like what's worked for me because it's, it's, you can hand over the toolkit, but it's a matter of when they 
want to tap into it or when it fits, you know, that point in their life. Um, and so, and, and then sometimes it's hard, you know, being, uh, I saw this like meme the other day that was about like, not every piece of information that you, you read, um, whether it's a quote or a tip, uh, has to align with every single one of your lived experiences. You can Mm -hmm. kind of absorb things with, you know, some space in between of like, does this apply to me today? It does. Maybe this will apply to me in the future, or maybe this is just not something I need, but someone else might. So it's definitely a dance, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to self-improvement. Yeah. And I love that because it's this, it's a recognition that that truth may not be for me right now. That may be, it, it may be true and it may be applicable to many other people where they are right now, but it may not be what's going to serve me right now and serve my growth and development. And, but I just love putting it out there either which way and hoping that it lands with the people who it it will serve and it will encourage. And I think that, you know, one of the things when I, when I teach thought leaders, you know, in mic drop or helping women write books is that if you try to create content, whether that be a speech or a book or even a social media post that is, is supposed to reach everyone, you know, you'll end up reaching no one Mm -hmm. because uh, it's funny, like with headbands of hope, you know, I go on QVC a lot, you know, to sell headbands. And so going uh, on that show, I also went through like QVC training where they show you, you know, how to sell. And one of the things that they teach you is like, you want to basically explain the exact moment and the exact person that this is for. So that way, when someone's on the other screen, they can say, yes, like that's Mm -hmm. me. Like I, my hair does get in my face when I'm gardening or like (laughs) I do need to put my hair back whenever I'm washing my face. And it's the same with, you know, self-improvement and it's, you don't have to create things that everyone will be able to relate to. Because when you do that, you end up almost casting too wide of a net where people don't feel like this is for me. And so it's okay to be a little bit more narrow in your approach sometimes. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think about when you're talking about selling selling headbands of hope. I mean, I've had long hair my whole life. So to me, it was like, yeah, of course, (laughs) people need headbands, (laughs) like headbands are a (laughs) fundamental accessory in a woman's life. But but also the dual mission part. I mean, I I would hope that I've never seen you on QVC, but I would hope that you were able to really share that because I think that's the other piece where someone might go, you know, how do I Christmas is coming up and let's be honest, my niece or my daughter has everything she needs because we're so blessed and we have so much abundance, most of us, that what can I get her? Well, let me get her something that I think she's going to love because it's beautiful, but also I think she'll love the heart behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that especially younger generations now, they are looking for more than just what's sitting right in front of them. It's like, where does it come from? What does this mean? You know? And I think that that's awesome because I think what that means for our future is that like this idea of social entrepreneurship is no longer going to exist. It's just going to be entrepreneurship. You know, it's not like, oh, it's trendy to give back. It's going to be like, no, this is an innate form of how we do business in our world is it's a responsibility to whatever you're selling or whatever you're doing, how are you making things better? And I think that the more consumers care about it, the more it'll weed out businesses that don't. 
And so I think that, you know, it's no longer just like a trendy thing to have a one for one model like we do. It's like, no, what is it, you know, through, you don't have to, to do everything, but pick something. Is it through the people that you hire? Is it through the product that you donate? Is it through the materials that are being used? Is it through how you engage with your community or provide opportunity? I think that people care about that now. There's more, uh, there's more reading going on on the label or the website. And I, I love that younger generations have such a conscience around what they're wearing and who they're listening to and what things stand for, because that's going to shape, you know, consumerism in the future and how we choose to spend our dollars as like points on the scoreboard for who's doing the best work. Yes. And I agree with you. We are much more aware. I mean, the term fast fashion is uh, one that I was I never heard of that before. And I was talking with a friend and we were talking about recycling. We were talking about trying to eat more healthily and organic and all this sort of thing. And then he brings up, well, you know, in fast fashion, I was like, oh no, one more thing than than I'm doing. I I was like, oh my gosh, one more thing I'm doing wrong accidentally. I know. My sister is like such an activist and she's very environmentally conscious. And like every time she's over at my house, I'm like, like using like a drip of water to wash the dishes because I'm like, oh, she's going to get mad at me if I, if I did more than that. <laughs> I know. It's so true. But it is so good. As you say, it's so good. And I think it's I think it helps all of us feel like you said that when we are spending our money, that we are able to use that to to really demonstrate our values and to support something in an additional way, not just supporting a, a small business, but also supporting, like you said, the people who are being hired and employed by that business and then also their mission behind it. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amid single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. So interestingly enough, you went from sophomore in college, going to give some headbands <laughs> to children, which is amazing. And then this thing gets going and you kind of pivot because you realize, as you spoke to earlier, that part of your story now was not just this great idea and headbands that people love and also children can benefit from, but also the process of creating a business from nothing and creating a business that had this dual purpose and also then realizing that part of your story included all those those challenges and those disappointments and the times when things didn't work out. And yet that was what allowed you to kind of lean into your optimism and dig deep for that grit. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I have a story to tell and I'm going to write a book and I'm going to start telling others how to share their message and their mission through speaking. So tell us a little bit more about the book and then your mic drop workshops. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny, like the first time I was ever asked to speak, I actually just posted about it on my Instagram today, which is funny timing, but it was at Marshall University and they were like, you know, we want you to come speak to our students. And this was when I was still in college. 
And I was like, they were like, what's your rate? And I was like, rate for what? You know, this sounds <laughs> awesome. Like just buy me dinner and let's call it a day. And so <laughs> when I was there, you know, I, I spoke about like, very tactical things like how to start a business and if you should be like an LLC or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know, that the, the value of the talk doesn't necessarily come from information. It comes from transformation. It's so it's how can your like story and by telling it be a before and after moment, you know, in someone's life. And so that required me to be honest, you know, about the times that, you know, I messed up and the things that I did wrong, the things I did right. And so that kind of started as a speaking career. And when I started speaking more, you know, obviously it was helpful for the business because people would learn about Headbands of Hope. So it was a great way for me to market my company, but also get, you know, paid to do it. And then I started getting on these panels and speaking at these conferences and realized like I would look at the roster or the big posters and realize that I was the token woman, you know, in these lineups. And I just, one time I even asked, I always ask these events that book me to speak, you know, oh, why did you pick me? You know, what about my message resonated with you? And, and one of them was like, well, we have never had a woman speak before and we figured it was about time. Wow. I was like, what? So I started doing more and more digging and realized that, you know, like women make up, you know, 30% of, of keynote speeches and if that. And also realized that just not a lot of women are actually applying. So yes, there's the problem of like men typically being on the selection committees or the meeting planners. But then the other problem is women feeling like they're not qualified to become a speaker or that they shouldn't apply to speak until they have, you know, all their ducks in a row and everything laid out. So I was like, maybe I could help, you know, serve this. And so I started a online course and community called Mic Drop Workshop, and it helps women become paid keynote speakers. And so we've helped over a thousand women, you know, get on stages and get paid to speak. And that kind of just turned into this whole brand of like how to tell and sell your story. And I feel really strongly about helping women specifically not have to choose between making a living and making a difference and be able to do both at once. So yeah, my life now is like writing and speaking. But more importantly, I think that I can have a greater ripple effect if I create products and work that help women do the same thing. Because for so long, I felt like my version of success was like, how far I could reach, you know, how many books can I write? How many stages can I speak on? How many companies can I start? And that's limiting. And it's also exhausting when you feel like your success is purely within your bandwidth. And I realize now that like my success can be so much greater and deeper if it's equipping other women with the tools to do that same thing. So yeah, it's, it's been amazing. We're a couple years in and I, truly like seeing one of my students go on stage and get paid, you know, five grand to speak and tell their stories like means more than any kind of microphone that I will ever carry again, because it's just uh, the most incredible feeling to see that you helped someone do that. That's really extraordinary. It really is. It's such a, a giving heart. I guess it's it shouldn't be surprising because it's really consistent with the person that you've been since you were at least a sophomore in college when you decided that you wanted to make a difference. And then to 
be excited about not only what you've been able to do and grow for yourself individually, but to to use that process to share with other women who maybe don't have that confidence to think, well, do I have something to say? I mean, I'd like to, but I don't know that I do. And and recognizing, as you said, that that those moments in their life, they can have meaning behind them and they can share that meaning to inspire others. And I love that mm-hmm. information to transformation. That's really powerful. And it's it's a beautiful, especially as as a woman, I love that women helping women, women empowering women, women looking at each other as sisters and walking hand in hand as opposed to a competitive kind of energy. I, that just there's no place for that. We, we women need to, like I said, walk arm in arm as sisters together. So I just love that you're doing that, Jess. It's really beautiful. Thank you. And yeah, I think like a, something that I talk about in Chasing the Bright Side that could be could be helpful because I know it's really helpful for me, especially when it comes to imposter syndrome or comparison or just like, you know, really getting caught up in the chase is whatever it is that you're chasing right now, whatever it is that you want to do, if no one knew it was you behind it, if you had to remove your name, would it still matter? Because sometimes I would get really, and still do, but get really caught up in how things look instead of how things feel. And there's so many things in my life that if my name wasn't attached to it, I would still do it because I know that it means something. But then there are other things in my life where I'm like, hey, if no one knew that this was Jess Ekstrom on it, like I probably wouldn't do it. (laughs) And so sometimes that's an indicator that like, uh, you're chasing achievements instead of success. Um, so it's kind of a good audit to, to throw out yourself every once in a while. That's, it's so in line with stuff I talk about a lot in terms of values. I talk about values, our core values for who we are. And of course, in the relationship realm, we want to partner with someone who aligns with our core values. It makes life and marriage a lot yeah. easier. And it also honors who we are, right? Uh, it, it honors how we're wired and and our unique qualities and our values obviously are, are all interlocked with that, that we are our values, we live our values. And as I love this audit notion where you think, if I would I do this if my name weren't attached to it? Well, if it's a core value that you're passionate about, that you believe so deeply in, yeah, you do it because you just you know that it's it's the right thing, it's the true thing, it's the thing that will make others' lives better as well. And I totally. yeah, I just love that audit notion. I think it's a really it's a very nice uh, tool in our tool belt to uh, yeah, a to tool sure, that you can yeah. use whenever you need it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to make sure we're on track. So Jess, I want to thank you again for joining me. Any parting words for the listeners and then let them know how to grab your book, how to follow you on social media, and of course, sign up for your course if they'd like to. Yes. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been super fun. You know that it's a good pod- podcast when you like forget that you're recording. So kudos <laughs> to you for that. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, I would love uh, to hear from you. You can co- go to jessextrum.com. Find me on Instagram at Jess underscore Ekstrom. And then you can buy Chasing the Bright Side anywhere books are sold. I highly encourage you to call your um, local bookstore and see if they have it first. And if they don't, you can always request it. And same goes for your local library. Excellent. Thank you again so much. I'm super inspired by our conversation. And I know my listeners will be as well. Thanks, Jess. Thank you. The love and life hack for this week is... Even our darkest seasons have a bright side. And when we find them and tell our stories, we can help encourage and empower others. 
As always, thank you so much for joining us this week. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Enjoy your loved ones and your family. And thank you so much for being a part of the Love and Life family. It means so much to me. If you haven't grabbed your free copy of the Empowered Dating Playbook, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com to be sure you get yours. That will also put you on the mailing list so you can be in touch with my newsletter and be the first to hear what's going on in the Love and Life community. Speaking of which, we have capped out the next Love and Life support group. So that is closed, but I will roll out another support group in early 2022 for anyone who missed this opportunity but would like to join the support group in the future. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen anderson Abril, and until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.